For the choir director, according to the Shimonith, a psalm of David. I'm reading from the LSB. You'll recognize that because Lord is properly translated as Yahweh. Save, O Yahweh, for the holy man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak worthlessness to one another. With a flattering lip and with a double heart they speak, may Yahweh cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that speaks great things, who have said with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says Yahweh, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The words of Yahweh are pure as silver tried in a furnace on the ground, refined seven times. You, O Yahweh, will keep them. You will guard them, guard him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. This is the word of God. Glorious and heavenly Father, be with us during this worship service. Let us keep our minds focused upon you, glorifying you, seeking you out for the answers, seeking you for understanding, trusting in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as led by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Amen. Francois-Marie Arouette, born 1694, died May 1778. A French Enlightenment writer, a philosopher, a satirist, and a historian. You would know him better under his nom de plume, Voltaire. He was well known for his critique and criticism of Christianity. He was an advocate of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and separation of church and state. At one point in his life, he declared these words, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. Furthermore, he boasted, by my single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. You could say that he was anti-Christian. He would further say at one point in time that in 50 years again that there, no one will remember Christianity. Yet ironically, the first time he mentioned that, the British Museum paid the Russian government $500,000 for a biblical manuscript. And at the same time, Voltaire's book sold for eight cents at the local bookstore. 50 years later, 50 years after his death, the house where Voltaire wrote his atheistic literature, it became the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society, disseminating Christian scriptures. 
We could say that his prediction and his foul words about Christianity proved to be wrong. And today's message is about speech that is wrong. We could say that this entire message today is a message about words. We could also say that it's more tightly would be said, it's a psalm, it's writing about the speech of God's enemies and the effect on God's people. We do not know the occasion for this particular psalm, much like last week. We do know that it is written by David. We find those words right in the subtext prior to the first verse. Just a reminder that subtext under the title there for the choir director, according to the Shimoneth, that was Psalm of David. In your Hebrew text, that would actually be verse 1. So if you ever uh, are looking in your own, uh, your own resources, sometimes when you have an interlinear that has both the Hebrew and the English, you will find in the Psalms that many times they are off by a verse. But this, uh, this title here, that according to the Shimoneth, because that is a word that's used a few times in the Psalms, not 100% certain what it means, but it is based on the word meaning eighth, we think it could be either referring to an eight-string lyre or a particular way that the psalm is sung that is there. Again, it's also according to, it is written for a choir director, which falls within what a psalm is. A psalm is generally, in the, in the, the Hebrew is referred to as a mizmor, what we translate to psalm. It's a melody. It's, it's to be sung to a degree. For the choir director, a psalm of David. That's where we, where we land at. We see some similar themes that we spoke about last week. The wicked, the unrighteous, the God-haters are still in play. They are still ones that are, are uh, befouling the Lord. They're also besetting David. This particular psalm here, as he speaks in the first verse, you will see Save, O Yahweh, for the holy man ceases to be. Uh, this is a psalm that's focused outward. It's not speaking directly of his own condition, although he is included within it. He's speaking as a whole. Notice how he says, the holy man ceases to be. Save, O Yahweh. It's a cry. For salvation. Because the holy man is no longer there. It's a cry for salvation because where have the faithful gone? Where have they become? I look all about around me, David would say, and I see none. I'm the only one left. In reading the commentary by James Montgomery Boyce, used to be the pastor, he is long since passed, of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, uh, has some phenomenal commentaries on the Psalms. 
he reminded me reading through that, and you would see this. This sounds so much like who? Elijah. Remember what he said? I'm, I'm the last one, 1 Kings 19. Remember the, the scene that came about with Elijah, how he arrived at 1 Kings 19 in 18, what happened? He had the, uh, he had the contest with the prophets of Baal. Sure, construct your altar. You can go first even. You can call upon your God or gods. You can call upon them. And they call and they call and they call and these prophets call and call and call and nothing happens. And, 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 and Elijah even gets to the point where he says, maybe he's traveling, maybe, he's, maybe your God's in the bathroom. That's what it literally says. And then when he, it's her tur his turn to call upon the Lord, to call upon Yahweh, to call upon the creator God, the only God, he says, wet the altar, pour more and more water on it. Pour water on the wood. He calls upon the Lord and what happens? Fire rains down from heaven, melts the rocks. And then the order is given to slay those prophets of Baal. To slay the prophets of Baal. If you then turn and look at 1 Kings 19, it is not on the notes there, but it has been on my mind for a while, uh, this particular passage, because there are parallels uh, to what we see in David's cry. If you look at 1 Kings 19, verse 1, now Ahab, the bad king, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by about this time tomorrow. Now, again, so quickly I must remind you, uh, he had just seen an amazing miracle of the Lord. I have never seen rocks melted from fire from heaven. I have never witnessed that, and I don't think anybody in this room ever has, and I'm not sure that anybody has since this time. And he slayed the prophets of Baal, and yet he receives these words that he certainly didn't want to hear from Jezebel, and what does he do? He runs. He runs to the degree that he says to his servant, when he says to his servant later on, uh, later on in the passage, he says to his servants, leave me. And what that is indicating is he says that I am done being a prophet. When he releases his servant, he's saying, I'm done with this job. I saw fire from heaven. I saw the Lord answer me. And now this woman wants to kill me and I'm out. He hides in a cave. We could almost say this is sometimes when you, uh, when you take some biblical counseling classes, you'll see this as an example that is given for a state of depression. He's in a cave. He's the woe is me is what's on top of him. Again, I remind you, he saw fire from heaven melt rocks. And when he hears the words from the king's wife that I want to kill you and have your head on the platter, he runs he says, I'm no longer going to be a prophet. What can I do? 
verse 5 says, Then he lay down under a broom tree, which is the same tree that Jonah uh, is under, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down. And again, seven and eight, the same thing happens. Go to Mount Horeb, where it's at. Now this is, this. remember, we're in Psalm 12, and I'm only giving you this as sometimes as a similar nature of what we're seeing, what happens with, with David. Remember he said, what has happened to all the holy men? What has happened to all the holy men? And so what we know in 9 through 18 is we find that God does come to him. Remember, God isn't in the wind. He's not in the fire or the earthquakes. And there's that voice that he hears. Verse 13, now it happened when, Je- when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face, face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, key words, 14. I've been very zealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts, right? Look at me. How could this happen to me? Look how zealous I've been. Look how I've listened to your word and how I trusted. How could this happen? Notice what he says next. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, pulled down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, I alone am left. I'm standing by myself. Where There's none left. It's me. I'm the only one. I've listened to you, Lord. I've trusted in you, Lord. And then this evil woman said a death threat to me, even after I saw you respond, and I ran. And I said, I'm no longer going to be a prophet. It's too tough for me. Again, fire from heaven melting rocks, and a woman's threat was enough to upend his ministry. I'm the only, I, was, I was the only one left. I'm done. The Lord is gentle with his prophet. He has provided food for his prophet. He has provided sustenance for his prophet. He has not yelled at his prophet, nor has he taken the bat to his prophet to set him straight. But he does say in verse 15... And Yahweh said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you will arrive and anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. You shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of ebal Malohola. You shall anoint as prophet in your place, and it will be that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu, shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, the way you are seeing things is not correct. You are not the last. You are not the only one who believes in me, who submits to my law, who trusts in me, who loves the Lord. There are still 7,000 left. You are not alone. Back to Psalm 12, save, O Yahweh, for the holy man ceases to be. There is none. There is none in this city. There is none in Jerusalem. There is none around. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They are nowhere to be found. 
Oh, sure, there's probably machinations of religion that are happening, going through the motions. David says, where are they? You could almost hear him saying, I alone, the king, I'm the only one. Surrounded by people, of four types of people that we'll find here shortly. But where have the faithful gone? Where are the believers and the trusters in the Lord? It is a society that is given over to rot and decay. You may think, or you may see that today. Where have all of the faithful gone? I, I don't see them among my family, my co-workers, my friends on the street. Where have they gone? Where are the upright? Where are the ones that you could hold the plumb line to and they would say, yes, these are ones that love the Lord. David will identify the four types of people that are besetting them in verses two through four. He starts in verse two, they speak worthlessness to one another. This is the Hebrew way of saying they're liars. That worthless speech uh, that could be, that, that means nothing, that it would not be worth the paper it's printed on, would not be worth listening to. They are liars, they are evil, they are wicked, they are unrighteous, they speak falsity to one another with useless speech. It is deceptive, empty, full of evil and deceit. They deal in lies and falsehoods. This is what he sees. I'm reminded of, and you should be too, Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not, what, bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall... You're not to be a liar. Yet David is saying here that these people of the Lord is exactly what they are. This is exactly how they act. This is the thing that would decide that if you were to look at them, you would say they are liars. That's a liar. I can tell by the way he speaks. David is saying I'm surrounded by them. They're everywhere. Where is the faithful person? Where is the God the one who trusts in God, where is the one, as it would say in Proverbs 3, the one who fears the Lord? Because to be a consummate liar is to not have a fear of the Lord. And I'll tell you why. To be a consummate liar is to not have a fear of the Lord is if you would turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 Excuse me, I want to go to Revelation 20 first. Uh, no, no, 21, 21 will do, never mind, I apologize. 21 verse 27. I'm going to, 27 is your key verse, I'm going to pick up in 22 so we understand where we're at. 
This is the new Jerusalem, the holy city, verse 22. And I saw no sanctuary in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be closed by day, for there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing, no thing defiled, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then if you flip to Revelation 22, either on the next page or flip to the next page, Revelation 22, verse 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Everyone who loves and practices lying. Pretty strong words. I would say as a society in general, lying is an acceptable sin, very much so. We accept it from everyone, from our bosses to our president, uh, and everyone in between. Uh, David is saying that it's worthless speech. These liars are found outside of God's goodwill. David is using this first one to point to a particular characteristic of those who are God-haters, those who do not fear the Lord, those that are against God. In that same verse, we get the next picture of the type of which he's speaking about, the ones that are not the holy men, right? This is with a flattering lip, Right? They flatter. It is a Hebrew word uh, pronounced halak is what it is. It is generally used to describe smooth river stones. No sharp edges. Nothing that cuts or offends. Right? Nothing that digs under the skin. You pick it up and you just feel, it just feels, even this hard stone just feels soft when you touch it because it's so smooth. It's been worn smooth. And that's what he's using to describe the speech of these people. That they are smooth talkers. That they talk other people up. In falsity is what they do that. The evildoers, they are, they, they are slippery in how they speak. They draw people in. They are the encouragers of evil because you can do no wrong to, for them. They tell you all is good. You're good. You're great. 
We're going to find out soon what they use that for. They speak deceitful words to ingratiate themselves to other people so that they might gain an advantage. They have no care for others. And when they speak in their soft and flattering tones, I'm certain many of you in the congregation today have met people like this. They lead others into destructive ways. Turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Verse 32, and by smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. The opposites, right? The turning towards godlessness. Of course, we have the example, too, of Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. Proverbs 5, verse 3, for the lips of a strange woman drip honey. And how about this description? Like that smooth rock, smoother than oil is her speech. So what we understand by this particular part of the very beginning of uh, Psalm chapter 12 in this particular verse at the very be- uh, the second part of the very beginning of this verse this flattering lip we understand that there is a general state of godlessness in the society where David is at that they are they are they may seem outwardly religious observing the going to temple observing the feasts and everything that are there. But overall, these people are marked by their actions. Their godlessness is marked by their actions. And he is calling out those, those ones of the smooth speech and the flattering speech, the yes men and the yes women that are there. And then he continues on that same verse. There, so with flattering lip, and with this is great, with a double heart they speak. So if in the Hebrew the word for heart is lahev, it would be balahev, balahev is what it is. Balahev, lahev is what it is. Balahev is what it is in that. But heart of a heart is what it says, is, is the direct translation. And, and what it means, this double-heartedness, is that they speak with deception. They speak in one way and mean another thing. They speak one way and mean another thing. Double talkers. They tell you one thing, they mean another thing. All to be deceptive. Uh, One of the examples that we would get in today's society is, for example... 
is when abortion is referred to as reproductive rights. You're saying one thing, but you're meaning another. You're using words to imply one thing, but you're meaning murder. You're using the words of life, reproductive, but you're actually meaning to murder a child by using that. That's doublespeak. That's double-hearted is what that is. It would be those of Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What does the woe mean in that passage? It means damnation is on your doorstep. Judgment is on your doorstep. Woe to those that are double speakers. Woe to those that are double hearted. So what we have so far is we have the liars, the flatterers, the double speakers. David is now going to, he's going to bring a passage of judgment in before he gets to the fourth one. He says, may Yahweh cut off all flattering lips. Karat is uh, is the term there. It's used about cutting, it's one of the terms used for cutting a covenant. He say, may they cut off their, look, look at what it says, cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. So cut off the lips and tongue of those that do these things. These arrogant ones that think they can do whatever, the ones who raise themselves up and beyond God and his ways, the ones that says, where is God, that he would even punish us or judge us. We can do whatever we want. Remember last week we talked about Psalm 73, Asaph? He struggled with that. When he looked about the priest, when he looks out upon the city, and he sees that the wicked are prospering, does God even know? Does God even care? David wants an end to their lying and boastful ways. These violators of God's commandment, their lying words and their voices that lead astray, he wants them done and over with. He wants judgment to come upon those who seemingly walk with impunity. They are the ones that by their actions deny who God is. They deny that he is the Lord and the judge. By their actions, they deny that there is any judgment. They would even be the ones that outwardly speak about God, but deny that he even exists because we can do whatever we want. We can take advantage of whoever we want. You see, I just lied now and nothing happened to me. They are gods unto themselves. They have wrongfully attributed the Lord's patience and long-suffering to a lack of belief and not understanding that judgment looms before them. We can do those similar things. 
we can act in a way that we don't believe that there's any judgment for our actions because it doesn't happen right now. So cut them off, cut their lips off, cut their tongues out. It's a very ugly picture with what is left. And we get the, third, the fourth person then in that the end of verse three it says, the tongue that speaks great things, that great things is the boastful ones. The ones that boast in what they're doing or what they're going to do. The ones that would say out of James, we're going to go here and make all this money and be successful in all these things. Uh, they're the people that sometimes you see in society today. Uh, you've talked to them. They've always done something better or greater than you have ever done. You mention them one thing about the new car you bought, well, I've got a better one. The trip you went on, well, I went on a better one. You meet those people all the time. The boastful ones, they forget that everything that they have comes from the Lord, not of their own. They're the ones that have great plans and great things that they're going to do. You normal people can't comprehend where I'm living at. They would be like those. They look down at others that are not like them. And again, they boast in the things that are merely gifts from the Lord. He has set you in the place where you're at, exactly where you're meant to be. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 3 and 4. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it has not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the sanctuary of God, exhibiting himself as being God. This man of lawlessness is a boaster. To be found in that company is to be found in the devil's, on the devil's doorstep. They too seemingly walk with impunity. They too seemingly walk with impunity. What are the faithful to do? From David's viewpoint, they seem to walk with no judgment upon them. They're the ones that are surrounding him. They mock God in the manner in which they talk and act. They have no understanding of God in his ways or seemingly ignore under any understanding that they might have. They speak those great things. And now, a change in the psalm, verse 5. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says Yahweh, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. 
This is the first time, we're now in Psalm 12, the first time where the Lord speaks directly. The first time in the, the Psalms of David, we, we want to remember that of the Psalms, right, David has written over half of them. This is the first time in the order in which the Psalms are at, we see God is responding. Now we want to remember here that this Psalm is not about general suffering in the cares of life. I'm just taking a break there for a moment just to remind us this is about the effects of false speech in society by the God-haters, right? By the wicked, by the unrighteous, and the effects it's having, what has happened to the holy man, what has happened to the faithful, where are they at? They seemingly have disappeared and surrounded by boastful, lying, double speakers, flatterers, yes men, the ones who speak mistruth. That's what seemingly society is filled with. You might see that now. What is the faithful to do? We can ask the question, what should we do when we're surrounded by the faithless seemingly everywhere? But the Lord says, because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. said to a couple of people this morning, I'm certain I got it from somebody else somewhere along the, uh, the way. David, what should we do, right? We cease to be. We tend to, we tend to look here, right? Maybe at the end of our nose is where we look at. We don't see the Lord working. We don't see the 7,000. We don't remember the other members of our congregation when we're going through tough, tough things. When people perhaps are lying about us or telling us things about us that are mistruths or things like that, we tend to forget those things. Uh, we tend to be very inwardly focused and what we need to be is upwardly focused. Instead of inward, we need to be looking upward. We need to set our things upon the things of the Lord. We need to set our things upon the things of heaven. We need to set our things upon a Christ that is on the throne, one that is interceding for us. We need to set our things upon the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit to us and it's better for us that he did so. We need to readjust where our focus is at. Instead of right here, we need to focus it there in all that we do and trust in what the Lord is doing. Because he says, I will set in, in, in the safety for which that the afflicted desires. It says it right there in my words. That's what it says. It says, I'm going to set those people in safety. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Is it part of your life, or is it only part of your life trusting in the Lord when it's convenient or it feels good? You need to ask yourself that question. When everything's running right, is that when I trust in the Lord? Or when everything's running wrong, do I trust that he says, it says right there, it says in my scripture right here, and it says it in the Hebrew, I will set him in the safety for which he longs. Do you believe it? You must believe it because it's God's word and it says it. 
I believe it because it's God's word, right? That's what, that's where we need to be. This is what he's saying. The first time he speaks in the Psalms, and this is what he's saying. He hasn't left heaven. He's always been there. He knows exactly what is going on. He knew exactly what was happening to the disciples when they were on a boat that was breaking apart. Do you even care? Yeah, I care. I know exactly what's happening. You know how much I care? Is I sent my only son to go to a cross, to be nailed to a cross, to die for your sins. That's how much I care. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. I will set him in the safety for which he longs. The flattering, boastful, double speakers, the liars, they have... They might have a, a momentary effect on you, but when we look heavenly-wise, when we look eternity-wise, when we think about the salvation that has become ours, in the midst of strife, in these, these things that are occurring, even to David, the Lord is with him. Isaiah 10, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, Woe to those who enact evil statutes, and to those who constantly record mischief, so as to turn the poor away from their cause and rob the afflicted of my people of their justice, so that the widows may by, be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Now what will you do in the day of visitation and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? You flee to the Lord. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for Yahweh, for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, for the Lord, for the God of my salvation. Guess what? My God will hear me. He hears every cry. He hears the cries of David. He hears the cries that you have. Do you believe it? God hears the cries of his own people. By the way, Psalm 711, he does not hear the prayers of the wicked. Remember that. But he hears the cries of his people. He hears the ones that are found abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. The ones that find joy in his righteousness that are crying out. They are crying out like those saints underneath the altar in Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. And when I, he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the witness that they maintained. And what do they say? How long, O Lord, till your justice comes? Just a little while longer. The justice will come. Psalm 35.10, all my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him? And the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. God is the one who does that. Who protects us. Who wraps us in his arms. Who says, I have this even if you need to die here. Because of what they are doing. I have you. Do you believe it? 
Job 5.15, but he, the Lord, saves from the sword of their mouth and the needy from the hand of the strong. Job 5.21, you will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue and you will not be afraid of the devastation when it comes. Found in the Lord. That's the Lord. That's essentially the Lord's response. Those, Matthew 12, 36 and 37, there'll be an accounting for all the words that were said. An accounting for all the words that were said. The Lord's justice will prevail. The mocking of the unholy will be ceased, even though for a period of time it continues. We all we need to do is read the book of Revelation to see that. Every careless word, as I said, in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, will be held up to judgment. The plumb line will be stretched out and all will be held up against it. I trust that my Lord and Savior is what will be held against the plumb line for my life. You know why? Because it says it and I believe it. This whole passage gives us the idea that we want to be patient with the Lord. It says in, in verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace on the ground, refined seven times, absolutely pure. Perfect, the words of the Lord are. are. You, O Yahweh, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard him, those, the afflicted, the righteous, the ones that are found in you, those abiding in Christ Jesus, you will keep them, you will guard him from this generation forever. And then we have that curious verse, verse 8. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. See, this is the surprising thing. There is the will. I want to believe in you, Lord. You've told me the promises. You said you would protect me. But they're still out there. Judgment hasn't come upon them. There is a period of time where the wicked, the vile, the God-haters will seem to prevail in society. We don't want to take to ourselves this viewpoint that if I just pray about it, it will go away. I'm certain everything, every single one of you who's a believer in here has prayed about something to go away that you wish you didn't have to go through and it is still there. Do you believe it is in your best interest as per Romans 8.28? I wasn't going to go there, but let's, let's remind ourselves, circle it in your Bible. Do you believe, like David would believe, that even though he's still going through this, the people that are against him, and we know, 828, David would know this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, it said, in my Bible, it says all things. Okay, it doesn't say some things or the things that are convenient for me or the things that I can tolerate or the things that I like. It says, uh, my Bible says all things. Do you believe it? 
Admittedly, I had a hard time believing that those all things were good when my sister died of cancer at the age of 43. That wasn't part of that point in time of my all things viewpoint. Right? But I'm looking at my Bible and I believe it. You know why? Because it says it. All things work together for good for those who are according, called according to his purpose, regardless if the wicked and the evil strut about seemingly in control of everything. Because I know my God reigns and my Savior is sitting on the throne and my Savior is interceding for me right now and his love is enough for me right now. And if he chooses to have me in this situation, then that is the best situation for me to be in, whether I agree with it or not. It is important to understand that we can't expect our prayer to just say, because we treat prayer like this, and I know it's true because I do it all the time. I pre if I just pray about this one time, it's going to be gone. And guess what? Has that ever really happened to anybody? I see my Lord Jesus praying that the cup would be passed. Yet he still drank of that cup, right? Because it was God's will, and it was for the good and the salvation of many. Remember Joseph? We can become befuddled in certain circumstances when we don't get exactly what we desire at the moment that we pray for him. Like David here, what happened? Where are the faithful at? They disappeared from the society of men. They speak, they're liars, they're boastful, they're flatterers. They're wicked, they're evil. But the Lord says, I will rise and set him in safety. Do you believe it? We must wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, yet, yet those who hope in the Lord will gain new power. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Lamentations 3.25, Yahweh is good to those who hope in him, to the soul who seeks him. Look upward, not inward. You may find these words difficult, but you would be wise to seek the counsel of the Lord through the life of David who was pursued by a king and pursued by his own son to be murdered. How many times do you think David, that it's not recorded, sat in a cave praying that this thing would be taken away, and yet he was still in a cave when he was done praying about it? And he was still on the run when he was done praying about it. Yet the Lord was with him. Do you believe it? How many times would he have sat on those hills and prayed that this burden be taken from him? Yet it wasn't. You think to David when he brings the ark back. Everybody's happy, excited about it. Dancing, doing everything wrong. Poor Uzzah. And I only say that with quotations, Mark. Not poor Uzzah, he should have known better. When he reaches out and he's struck dead. I thought I was doing the right thing, Lord. What can I do? What can I do to gain you? Not trusting in what the, what the David not trusting in who the Lord is and, and, and what he does. David's prayer, and this is why this comes at the end, they're on every side. It's not taken away. 
it reminds us we live a prayerful, repentant life. We're trusting in what the Lord is doing. We're trusting that it is the best for those that are found in him. That found in the Lord Jesus, we have things and work to do regardless of our circumstances. Sometimes it's just to trust and know that he is the Lord and he has this. Trust and know that, that, that he is working all things out for his glory, including you. That his return is imminent. That we are to be found as his faithful servants regardless of the circumstances. That the only thing that we should be anxious about is anxious for his return. Understanding that he is not delayed, but will come at the exact right time. I know that some of us may be struggling with liars and boastful flatterers, those types of people, those double-hearted, the ones that say one thing and they do another thing that we may work with or family members or friends. But I'm asking you that you believe what the scripture says and trust in the Lord who knows all things that are happening to you right now and that says that these things are for your good. Because my Savior reigns, that's where we're going to do communion right now. And I would ask that those that are going to deliver the communion cups, that they would take those out right now. Because when we say that my God reigns, that my Savior is on the throne, that my Savior is interceding for us, it means that I'm believing what the Scripture says. I'm believing that my Savior was raised again. I'm believing that those disciples saw him ascended into heaven. I believe because the scripture says so and their witness tells me that they did. I believe because David believed. I believe because Joseph believed. I believe that regardless of those that are out there that are against the Lord and our Savior, that regardless of those that are out there speaking against him or saying, how can you believe in this, I believe that it is true because the scripture says it is true. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the new covenant. This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Do you believe it?